0: In this next hour, we hear about the impact of the Affordable Care Act in Wisconsin. Bobby Peterson is a public interest lawyer and founder of ABC for Health, an organization that connects Wisconsin families to health care. He will address the current state of health insurance through the Affordable Care Act in Wisconsin and what the future of health care looks like in Wisconsin. The talk took place on January twentieth, 2018 at the Capitol Lakes Retirement Community in Madison and was part of the Lively Issues Luncheon sponsored by the League of Women Voters of Dane County. First, we hear from Brooke Soltvet, president of the League, who introduces our guest.
1: Our featured speaker, Bobby Peterson, is a graduate of the University of Wisconsin Law School where he received a Legal Education Opportunity Fellowship. He began his legal career at the Center for Public Representation, serving low-income families seeking health care coverage and services. He's a social entrepreneur, and he thrives on testing new ideas and doing process improvements. In 1994, he founded ABC for Health, a nonprofit public interest law firm dedicated to helping populations with health disparities. And that is health differences that are closely linked with their with people's social economic or environmental disadvantage. ABC for Health was founded to help these people obtain and maintain health care coverage. ABC for Health promotes health equity by applying legal strategies and knowledge to help low-income clients connect to all available health care coverage resources. The firm developed Precision Patient Advocacy as a process to optimize health care benefits through... Here's the ABC part of ABC for Health, Advocacy and Benefits Counseling Services. In 2010, he founded My Coverage Plan, Inc., an innovative new technology firm that developed a Advocus, which is sort of a, a TurboTax-like tool for health benefits <clears throat> that uses interview technology and decision support tools that help providers and patients with health disparities identify and optimize health care coverage and create a coverage roadmap. We're very pleased to have Bobby Peterson share with us his view of the state of healthcare coverage in Wisconsin today and in the future. And after his presentation, he'll take questions from the audience.
2: As Brooke mentioned, I'm uh, an attorney work in public interest law, uh, started back in the late '80s uh, at the Center for Public Representation. I worked with Louise Trubeck. Some of you may remember Louise, who gave me my start as a student, sent me up to Northern Wisconsin back in 1985 to do a needs assessment of the rural uninsured. In those days. Just had been driving a forklift truck uh, in a factory about six months before law school, so I was really green, trying to understand the dimensions of health care coverage uh, and the, the factors that people faced in, in low-income communities in rural Wisconsin. Louise gave me a banker's box that said, go up to Polk and Barron County and do a needs assessment. Well, it was trial by fire, and I did a lot of work, interviewed people, talked to low-income folks that were struggling, understood that... Uh, uh, they, they were having challenges in getting the health care coverage that they needed, uh, but it had a profound impact on my career direction. Um, we tracked those folks down through court records. They were being sued for medical debt. They were families, farmers, individuals. We had focus group meetings in the trailer park to talk to people. They came out and told me their story. Green law student, but I was listening and trying to understand what was going on with them talked to farmers, their barn burned down. Uh, mom was, had severe cardiac problems, went to UW Hospital, didn't have insurance. I was trying to figure out how they were gonna pay for it. It struck me that you know this is something that I could do as a law student, and potentially as an attorney, using my knowledge to help people cut through the red tape, understand the rules, Uh, and make sure that they get what they need and deserve out of the healthcare system. We looked at their situations where they had accumulated medical debt and reverse engineered it and thought, what went wrong? Well, it was a lack of access to information. It was a lack of advocacy. It was a lack of benefits counseling. All terms that are in the name of the firm that I founded. Um, And that's what people need. People need support. People need direction. People need advocacy from knowledgeable, competent people. It's very confusing out there. And if you're ill, trying to navigate a system, if you're a parent, trying to navigate a system for your child, you can go off the rails pretty quickly. And we learned that. And when you go off the rails pretty quickly, what happens? Medical debt, collections, maybe even bankruptcy. Your credit score is compromised and we call the the, the credit score in that process right now sort of the electronic debtor's prison. Because once that credit score goes below a certain level, it's hard to get a job, it's hard to get a car, it's hard to get anything, because that really is controlling your financial destiny in many ways. For low-income disparity populations, it's even worse, uh, because the challenges that they face are tremendous. Um, For ABC for Health, I think one of the roles that we play is trying to be a helping hand up trying to guide people, trying to give them the information, and use our legal expertise in a way that's going to help people connect to the coverage and services that they need, um, helping them fight off the collection lawyers and collection agencies, help them get the services and coverage that they're supposed to be getting for their children. We have fought with many insurance companies, government programs, bureaucracies, collection lawyers, Uh, and others over the years in a battle to try and help people get the coverage that they should be getting. But it's not easy. Um, And as many of you know that sometimes the political process throws stones, boulders in our path and in the path of the people that we want to help. In some ways it's analogous to some of the efforts where we think about let's get out and try and encourage people to vote. And it's hard for low-income people because of the barriers, voter registration, the blocks and the barriers that are put in the path. But the same thing can be said about health care, too. Let's try and encourage people to get the health care coverage that they need and deserve. But let's put in a lot of hoops, hurdles, and red tape because we want to catch that fraud that may not even exist, that may not even exist. But it's striking to the fears that people have and sometimes the greed that people have. Someone's gonna get something that I have and that I want. Um, Fear and greed are very motivating political powers and unfortunately they're used in a destructive way, particularly today at a national and state level. And I think we all have to confront that. We all have an important job to do to make sure that we look out for the people who are uh, having, that are facing challenges out there. Uh, Low income, health disparity populations, we have a responsibility and a duty of citizens of this great country to do more and not respond to the motivations that politicians throw out there. And we have to help educate our other citizens about these issues, because it's really a destructive process. Just yesterday I was talking to uh, the media about the new rules for food share and the increased hours for low-income people to work from 20 hours to 30 hours. You know, I mean, I think at some points, like, well, yeah, everybody should work. And the political slogan is everybody should be contributing. We have a full economy. It's not realistic to think about. When you look at the challenges that low-income people face, and is everybody, it's either you're, you're well enough to work or you're disabled. And we'll, we'll grant some exemptions for people with disabilities. We don't live in a world like that. There are many shades of gray. And I know personally, from the clients that I represent, that there are a lot of folks out there that are struggling with mental health, physical health, you know, other behavioral health, substance abuse issues that make it very challenging to meet those requirements. So what are we gonna do? Well, we lose a bit of our humanity when we kick people to the curb and we pretend that you know they're just like the rest of us. Um, yes, we're all human beings and part of this planet, but we all have strengths and weaknesses and we all have responsibilities. And some of those responsibilities mean helping people up. So part of what I wanna talk about today with what we're doing with in Wisconsin and the Affordable Care Act, is how are we working to help people through the process? And that's a fundamental aspect of what ABC for Health is doing, a fundamental aspect of what we all need to be doing in terms of understanding the systems and understanding the barriers. ABC is a, a bit of a constellation of different organizations, but we're three major organizations. We're Health Watch Wisconsin, which is our outreach, education, uh, public policy uh, organization. We built our own webcasting studio in the offices of the Mifflin, the old Mifflin Co-op where our office is located. Many of you probably remember the old Mifflin Street Co-op organic grocery store. We bought it and turned it into our public interest law firm. Uh, so it's kind of neat to have a social mission, not food but health but still fighting the good fight over there on Mifflin Street. So we built a studio, so we do webcasting, teaching and training. We follow the activities of the league very closely uh, and are very encouraged by the good work uh, that you do in helping to register voters, and we we applaud you and cheer you on. Health Watch Wisconsin works in that space around the Affordable Care Act. There are many videos that we put up free to view, and if you want to get into the details of many of the aspects of what's happening uh, around health care, I encourage you to check out the website. They're short, quick-hitter videos, but a great opportunity to learn. In summary, what we see is uh, the Affordable Care Act isn't going away. There was a big push to to, to eliminate it over the summer, but I think people rose up, and uh, the politicians had to respond to the fact that this is something that is actually fairly popular. Uh, From us, from our perspective, as a public interest law firm, it's another tool in our tool belt. There were a lot of people out there that didn't have access to coverage, were between jobs. And the Affordable Care Act provided an important opportunity for those clients. But it's not easy. Like everything else, it's complicated. Understanding how to navigate that system is a big challenge. So our role is to help guide people through the system, give them the advocacy that they need. And sometimes it's legal services. But ABC for Health really works a lot with health benefits counselors, health benefits advocates, Uh, Help benefits assistance. We've sort of diversified the the group of people that that provide help um, because that's a lot of what uh, uh, people need. We've got contracts with St. Mary's and with Unity Point Health Meritor Hospital where they actually refer patients to us and we help them to get the coverage. The hospitals have understood that by us helping them, they get paid. It's good for the community and it lowers uncompensated care. does anybody here have an idea of what, what the uncompensated care levels are here in Dane County for hospitals? Well, it's about $150 million a year. That's just Dane County. $150 million. That's money that's kind of lost. That goes at the back. That's, that's money that's, that isn't captured by the hospital. It's turned into medical debt sometimes for people, but it's uncompensated care. And that, to us... Is the fail, and it's one of the reasons. With the tool that we've developed called Advocus, which is our TurboTax-like tool for healthcare coverage, we know that a lot of that money could be put to good use by identifying and optimizing coverage for people, assembling their data. I mean, I never thought I was going to become, uh, you know, into the technology space, but we have three developers on staff, and we have My Coverage Plan Inc., which is a separate company that uh, the NIH, uh, National Institute of Health, funded for us to get up and running, it was, it was one of those, we could spend an hour talking about this, but for a public interest law firm like ABC for Health to get an NIH grant, that was, it took me five years. So it was, <laughs> and my board said, Bobby, you gotta stop. This is too much. You're never gonna get one of these grants. And I said, yes, I will. <laughs> it was like going to law school, yes, I will. And the stubborn Swede, you know, just pushed through, pushed through and, and and didn't give up. So uh, we got the grant, and we built the technology, and now we're starting to use it, and we're helping people, which is, you know, which is the big win to address the big fail here in Dane County, which is $150 million, and across Wisconsin, it's a billion dollars. So the Affordable Care Act provides us with opportunities to help people connect to the coverage to pay for that care, because if it's not paid for, it's uncompensated care and what is that? That spreads out to everybody else. You know, people talk about socialized medicine. Think about socialized medical debt that gets redistributed to everybody else's bill. You know, People complain so much about socialized medicine. I'm like, do you like socialized debt? Because if you don't give people the coverage, that's what you're paying for. That's what you're paying for.
0: You are listening to The Impact of the Affordable Care Act in Wisconsin with our guest, Bobby Peterson, who is a public interest lawyer and founder of ABC for Health, an organization that connects Wisconsin families to health care.
2: So it's looking at it in a different way, and our our vision is really informed by years of of helping clients navigate those systems. Um, The Affordable Care Act for us was important to extend coverage to people up to age 26 because a lot of parents have kids still in school or going to grad school or transitioning that need help maintaining that coverage that was really important that's something that's probably going to stick around Um, essential health benefits are really important we want to know that there's a core group of benefits that are available to us that we can count on we want to promote preventive health care that's important we want to make sure that we're going in and getting you know our colonoscopy when we hit our 50s Um, and, and those are things that, you know, need to happen, and they're not pleasant, but it's, you know, it's part of the process, and having it covered under your insurance helps. Um, we also know that uh, making sure that insurance companies are accountable and the medical loss ratios, which are kind of deep in the weeds, but, but that was a process to make sure insurance companies were promoting part of their revenue back into benefits and coverage and not just funneling it into profits. I've been practicing long enough to know the bad old days way before the ACA, and it was pretty bad. I have a lot of stories of clients that I represented that were denied based on pre-existing condition. I represented a gentleman who was uh, had some pains in his neck and his chest, and he was, you know, went to the doctor. The doctor said, "You know, I think you have sinusitis. Here's some antibiotics. See how this works for you." He was a dairy farmer, was out milking one day, and just collapsed. Massive heart attack. The insurance company said, "Uh, we see that you went to the doctor and you were complaining of neck and chest pains. This was a pre-existing condition. We aren't going to pay for this. Well, it was a $300,000 bill. It was going to wipe them out. Um, And when we got into it, from a legal perspective and looked at the regulations and the requirements, it wasn't the, the the law says that the condition has to manifest it to the degree that you would know, but if you get a diagnosis from a physician and they tell you it's something else, you're not supposed to be you know smarter than the doctor and say, oh no no I've got heart disease and I'm going to have to you know it doesn't work that way. But the insurance company shifted it back to them and wanted to make them think it worked that way, because you know that's a lot of money for the insurance company to have to pay. So we fought that we reversed the decision. You know, dozens and dozens of cases like that where people were, their back was against the wall, but we were able to help them fight against the insurance company. It's not just the insurance company. It's the state of Wisconsin sometimes, Medicaid. Sometimes it's Medicare, long-term care. You know, whenever you're dealing with big institutions guarding the money, there's going to be hoops and hurdles in the path. Um, people will say to me sometimes, Bobby, I think you know, if we just had a single-payer system we would put you out of work. Well, if we did, that'd be okay. I'd find something else to do. It would be be good. But it's never going to be that simple. Most of you are probably familiar with all the hoops and hurdles that you deal with with Medicare, Part A, Part B. Well, am I I going to do Part C? Am I going to do Part D or senior care? Those are the kind of decision points and hoops and hurdles that are going to be a part of any system. So the panacea that it's going to be, you know, you're going to get all the care you want, whatever you want, it's, it's not going to happen. It can be a lot simpler. And I am a proponent of simplifying it because I used to have a lot more hair up here and I pulled a lot of it out, fighting with insurance companies and bureaucracies and trying to learn the system. Uh, you know, the other part of the Affordable Care Act that um, we have uh, concerns about is the fact that Wisconsin did not accept the Medicaid expansion. That was a major, major mistake uh, in my mind, it is you know gubernatorial malpractice uh, it, it's we left money on the table it 's you know almost eight hundred million dollars in counting. why haven't we done it we 're concerned about roads we 're concerned about k twelve education. This is money that we could be bringing into the state what 's the argument against it? Well, the feds could change their mind Maybe they, you know we don't want to be caught. We can change our mind anytime we want to. Do you ever see? You know, politicians standing up and saying, no, you know, Marinette Shipbuilding, we don't want that federal defense contract for these boats because you could change your mind on these contracts. Or Oshkosh Truck saying, nope, oh, no. Or, you know, grants to Wisconsin for anything else. It's about $12 billion a year that we get from the federal government. We pick out Medicaid expansion and say, they could change your mind. Ridiculous. A red herring. And it is part of what we call, you know, part of the process where they create the corn maze eligibility process, which it resulted in. It's a corn maze out there for families. Badger Care Plus, you're eligible for as kids. Adults only up to 100%, certain deductibles for children and youth with special health care needs. Find your way to health care if you're lucky enough to work your way through the system, you win. If you're not, medical debt, medical debtors' prison, uncompensated care. We all pay for that. So why do we do it? We make a complicated system, challenging for families, and we turn down what will ultimately be, could be billions of dollars from the federal government to support a more streamlined system for kids, families, and parents. It makes no sense, but people are boxed in the corner politically, and we don't have enough voters out there that are educated on these issues to say, what is going on?
0: You are listening to The Impact of the Affordable Care Act in Wisconsin with our guest, Bobby Peterson, who is a public interest lawyer and founder of ABC for Health, an organization that connects Wisconsin families to health care.
2: This is an issue, too, that almost all of the state editorial boards have said, take the money. Wisconsin State Journal, Cap Times, Milwaukee Journal Sentinel, um most of the dailies have all said, you should take this money. And Governor Walker stubbornly refuses for political reasons, not policy reasons. It's a big loss to the state. People aren't getting the health care that they need. People are lost in the corn maze, and it's costing us all more money. So I feel kind of strongly about this issue. (laughs) You can't tell. Um, And it's part of what we try to do at ABC for Health. Um, We are Looking at issues from a client perspective, we have a, a process where every week we have something called the case meeting. And um, it was probably back at the center where I was, I'll admit this, I was watching LA Law and they used to have their weekly case meeting on LA Law. And I thought, we should do that, something like that. Well, we started doing it and we've been doing it for the last 25 years. So every Wednesday we have a case meeting. Every case that comes into the firm, I love to go to that meeting because I can sit there with my coffee cup and say, what you ought to do there is, um, but it's really, it's a, good, it's a good opportunity to tap some of the wisdom of the firm, but a lot of the advocates that are working every day on these issues, we discuss them, we strategize. We're thinking of the best plan for that patient to get the coverage that they need and deserve. And nobody in the state does it better. I'm, I'm very proud of our team and the process that we use, the technology that we're developing. And we can do this for more people. We just need more support and able to do that to extend it to more people. And that's why we're building the technology, because we want to see it not just at ABC for Health, but these are tools that other people should be able to take advantage of, because we can help a lot of people. And we can turn that billion dollars of uncompensated care in Wisconsin, we can cut it in half pretty quickly. That's real money. It's going back into the community. It's it's keeping people out of collections and medical debt. And those are some of the strategies that I think um, we're interested in pursuing. The other part of uh, the Affordable Care Act that's really important for us is, and we we touched on this, is the teaching and training piece. Being here today to help you understand some of the issues that we're concerned about, but also making sure that service providers, hospitals, clinics, people at the front lines understand these issues because it's very complicated. We do teaching, training, and orientation for medical residents that come in, you know, pretty green, um, that need to know a little bit more about access to health care and coverage issues for their patients uh, and where to refer patients for help. Because when things go wrong, it goes wrong badly. Uh, and we've talked about that already. But, you know, when you start spiraling into medical debt, a lot of other issues, including mental health, behavioral health, marital stress, family stress, all those bills piling up, creates a lot of pain out there. But I want to just close on a couple things. One of the the areas that we're very interested in is working in behavioral health. Um, I started telling you about the different companies of ABC for Health. We have ABC for Rural Health, which is where I worked up in Polk County. It's co-located in the health department when I was a law student. We kept that office going for all those years, and we got some support from the Bremer Foundation to do that. And we're working a lot in behavioral health, which is a very, very challenging area. And people that have behavioral health issues or family members with behavioral health issues, trying to get the funding to align correctly for that is a major challenge. Some insurance companies ignore mental health parity. Some people ignore opportunities for payment by Medicaid. And some people have challenges with the new features within the marketplace and the Affordable Care Act to get that, those services paid for. Uh, it's something that we're working on, and we're developing new variants of our advocacy tool to work precisely on behavioral health. And we just had a great call um, with the NIH last week about supporting a new tool uh, that would help behavioral health patients navigate that system. Um, in closing, just want to say that um, we share a lot of the same values as the League. We want to get out there and help people, educate people, support people eliminate boulders and barriers in their path. We know that there are challenges ahead, but we know that we have the tools, the people, and the passion to work through many of those barriers. I applaud the work of the League. I thank you for having me here today. I hope I've been able to give you a little insight into what we do at ABC for Health and some of the things around the Affordable Care Act that might be of interest to you, Uh, but I'm also willing to answer any questions that you might have right now. Yeah.
1: My question is: You've you talked about grants, you've talked about contracts. If I'm the farmer who's having these problems and I come to you, do I have to pay you? Uh, how how does the, how do your clients uh, how do you get your money if for a specific client? Right,
2: right. Good question. Um, it's complicated. <laughs> Like everything else in healthcare. Well, sometimes we have we have contracts with certain providers. Like I said, St. Mary's and Unity Point help refer patients to us so they pay us to help their patients. We don't turn anybody away, but we're kind of like an ER where if someone calls us, we're going to do the triage and do the best we can to help them. We might not be able to take their case to the Supreme Court, but we're able to at least identify the issues for them, identify some resources that may be in their community, and help them get connected to the help that they need because there are resources out there, but part of it is, you know, I mean, our advocacy tool, one of the features of the advocacy tool that we talked about, this TurboTax tool, the feature is called the big picture sort. If you think about the big picture of healthcare, where do I go? How do you narrow it down to, like, what is it that I'm going to need? Um, precision patient advocacy. And the reason we use that term is that every person in this room has a different healthcare coverage profile everybody. And it's because it's like precision medicine where certain medicine might work for you but not for you. Healthcare coverage is that way too because it's based on your age, your income, your medical condition, your immigration status. Are you a veteran? Do you have dependents? All those nuances mean there's a different coverage profile for you. That's what precision patient advocacy is. So we would help that farmer. We would go through an intake process. We would narrow the field for them and identify specific resources to help them with their issue.
0: I don't understand what you mean by uncompensated care. Um, so let's say I don't have insurance. I go to the ER. I can't pay for it. I'm poor. Doesn't UW Hospital pay for it, or do they bill the taxpayer? Or I mean, well, right. How do you and define uncompensated care?
2: It's a good. It's a good question. Uncompensated care, as we're using the term, is. Decisions that might be charity care, so um, it could be charity care, or it is bad debt that hasn't, that bills that haven't been paid, that have never been collected upon. So it's not, you know, you hear providers talk about, well, if Medicaid doesn't reimburse me enough, we lose all this money, or the difference between those programs, that's a different pot of money. Uncompensated care is people that don't have the money to pay for the care, and it never gets paid. It could be charity care. So, you know, you talk about UW Health saying like, well, we've got a charity care program. So, here's a low-income person, they've got a $10,000 medical bill, we're going to write it off. But but if they write it off, you know, I mean, it's not just like, oh, boom, it's gone, no one paid for it. No, that's what we're talking about. That $10,000 bill is uncompensated care. Did they go through the process to carefully analyze your situation to understand that You were ill, you were working, you lost your job, and you couldn't pay the hospital bill because you weren't working anymore. But you were potentially in a 30-day window for COBRA continuation. We could have worked with you to work with your employer to pay your premiums and get that $10,000 bill paid. So that's kind of the part that would be how we could turn that uncompensated care into paid care. Or because you stopped working, your income dropped precipitously. And because it did, for the month that you were receiving services, you were BadgerCare Plus eligible. And did anyone go through the process to say, yes, this was your income, but for these four weeks when you were hospitalized, you weren't working, you weren't making any money, so you had a window of eligibility, and we could have gotten that coverage through BadgerCare Plus. That's the sort of granularity that we have to go into to really help folks get the coverage that they need and deserve and that's being missed quite often. And that's why we have $150 in uncompensated here in Dane County and a billion across the state of Wisconsin.
3: Maybe a decade ago or so, the Institute of Medicine was estimating that 40,000 people die every year unnecessarily because they don't have access to health care. And I wonder if you know, has that statistic changed since the onset of the ACA, or what are the... Uh, local or state statistics that you're aware of that might coordinate with that. There's a there's another study that has it as eight hundred thousand just for Black people, and uh, how do you square that? <laughs> Those two different estimates and stuff. Uh, what what is your best estimate uh, before and after the ACA and 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 locally, how many people are dying? every year unnecessarily because of lack of medical care?
2: Too many, too many. I mean, but I will say that I think, you know, I don't have any updated information from the Institute on Medicine study that you've cited, but I do know that the Affordable Care Act has helped to reduce that number so that there are more options for people across the country. There are more options for people in Wisconsin, but it's still very complicated. There are still people that are falling through the the cracks. Um, An issue that really burns me is the um, infant mortality rate for African-American infants. And and there are policies in Wisconsin, there are policies in Dane County that are terrible. Um, There's a policy in Dane County across the state, it's called birth cost recovery. And I'll give you the back of the envelope version of this, but you can look on our website for more information. But if an unmarried Young woman applies for BadgerCare Plus. She's required to identify the absent parent on her application. So maybe uh, you have to immediately identify the man that you're living with, the boyfriend. It creates social strife. If you're married, it doesn't matter. But in Wisconsin, if you're unmarried, you have to. And Wisconsin is the only state uh, that does this as aggressively. Michigan does it a bit. Wisconsin is way out ahead of the pack. So what they do is they require this young woman to identify the father, social stressors, conflict, uh, delayed prenatal care. And this affects a lot of African-American uh, young women. And it is one of the exacerbating factors, one. I'm not, it's not the whole reason. There are many factors. But this is one we could do something about. So Dayton County and the rest of the counties in the state, most of them, there's a few that don't do it. But they pursue the father immediately, call him into court, enter a judgment against him to repay the birthing costs. Now people say, oh, is that child support? Not child support. That's a whole different process of paternity and supporting the baby. This is just simply about we want our money for, for uh, the Medicaid payments. And the county says, and we want our cut. So in Dane County, for, from 2010 uh, through 2015, that was $1.2 million, just their cut that they were pulling out of low-income households as their percentage of birth cost recovery. Uh, and for a state like Wisconsin it has the worst black infant mortality rate in the country, in the country, that is shocking. And for a county like Dane to continue to pursue it, we brought it to their attention, and, we, and they said, well, Bobby, we're, you know, this is $300,000 a year for our child support office. I don't care about the child support office. I care about the families that you're pulling the money away from. I mean, child support can find their own resources. Yes, they should be support. You know, fathers should support families. There should be paternity. We don't disagree with that. But stop punishing young single women and intimidating them and frightening them and taking their Medicaid away when they don't identify the father. That's not good health policy. It's not good public policy. It exacerbates infant mortality and poor birth outcomes in this community.
4: Hi, I'm Nancy Thorne. I'm a physician. First, I'd like to thank you for your work, Uh, very critical work, and there's a big hole uh, in our health system that you're helping to fill. The other are two comments. Uh, I have a friend who is an actuarial specialist who is the head of the State of New York Insurance Commission. His take on how we should get universal, adequate health care is that we should adopt some things from the European, Western European health system, the countries that have been working very well. He says the problem is the level of profits that the health insurance companies are allowed to take. In the, uh, in the Western uh, European countries, they are allowed to pay their expenses, plus they are allowed or guaranteed a certain percentage, which was quite hefty, but a lot lower than ours His idea, after studying this for many years, is that we should set a similar program. We could let the insurance companies administer these so that the government wouldn't have to do it and have more bureaucracy, and that the insurance companies have very good actuarial tables and research, so they would be very competent to deal with this. Okay, that's one. I'm sorry.
2: No, go ahead.
4: The other is a question. the healthcare system is in such disarray and in such change now. What suggestions do you have for us now who are providing for patients any specific or even temporary um, advice that you can give us?
2: Sure. Let me deal with the first one, because that was uh, an issue that we talked about before, um, and, and it is one of the features of the Affordable Care Act that I think is positive, where they, the medical loss ratios were capped at a certain level to say, we're going to cap this for your, you insurance company because you have to put 80% of your dollars back into programs and services, uh, and 20% could be available for profit. And that was a feature, but that's, you know, the Affordable Care Act affects a small sliver of the marketplace. So that idea underpins part of the ACA. I don't have a problem with that. I, I think that, you know, um, there's a lot of models in Western Europe that could be adopted in the Netherlands, um, Switzerland. I mean, there's some good models out there that we could integrate. Part of it is what we have is why our tool is called the Big Picture Sort, because we have a huge hodgepodge of programs, you know special programs for infants, special programs for children, youth with special health care needs, special programs for childless adults, people that are disabled, people that are disabled but working, people that are disabled completely, people that are turning 65, people that are in long-term care, self-funded insurance plans. I could go on and on. So when you look at the enormity of that, what is the cost of administering it and trying to understand it? I mean, this is what I've Dedicated my life to, and our technology and our tools to, to try to sort this out, so that if I'm helping clients through the system, you know, we can we can find them the coverage that they need. But it takes a law firm, a specialized law firm with technology to do it. Um, In terms of tips, I think that, you know, one of you mean as a as a trained physician, and you have to go through licensure, like I do as an attorney. The people that are working sometimes at the front end of the process and patient registration and patient admissions, um, they're not always asking the right questions, they're not getting the right information, they're not, they're, there's not a layer of assistance, and it's very slippery, but uh, people will that are in those positions will say, well, I, I help, I told them to go to the county, you know, I mean, I told them to go to the county. You know, a low-income person that barely speaks English, that can't write, yeah, go to the county, or I handed them an SSI application. Really? They're going to fill that out. They understand the comorbidities that they have. They understand how to fill out the application correctly. People say, oh, it takes three or four years to get an application for Social Security approved. Oops. Well, the reason is the first version is filled out in crayon. I mean, you know, they're, they're just poorly put together. So if you have competent people trained and doing it at the front end, it's, it's uh, the principles of public health applied to health coverage. Do it well at the beginning and it'll pay dividends in the long term. Help them obtain, help them maintain, help benefits checkups along with a health checkup. What's changed? My family size has changed. My daughter went to college. Is she under your continued insurance up to age 26? Do you know about that? Is she moving to another state? What are the coverage issues? There's very few people out there in the provider community that are competent to deal with this. And it's a good segue because I think that we've applied for another NIH grant that is our teaching and training profile, uh, teaching and training learning management system. Because as we look at this, where do you go for the training for it? I mean, you can go to our HealthWatch training portal and you can come to some of our HealthWatch Watch conference, which is coming up in March. Um, but it's, you know, it's a bit haphazard. Uh, what we need is a more comprehensive system to teach and train, to enforce competencies, to evaluate, to certify people so that we have folks out there that you rely on as a physician, as a patient, that's your go-to person that's going to help you navigate the system correctly, get you the benefits you need. Instead of bringing your shoebox of Medicaid papers to your son or daughter or you know someone else where you're trying to go through it yourself, I mean, there is a better way to do it, but it's always staying ahead of it. That's my advice.
1: Question about naming and shaming. Uh, we, I, I shop at uh, CVS, even though I don't like the stores, because Walgreens sells cigarettes, and I don't like that. But I, I you know, and I, I change my uh, my coverage, my health coverage, if I knew that Dean Care, I, which I have right now, is uh, you know messing around with with their uh, uh, claims and all of that. Um, now, how do we get that information? I know the newspapers aren't reporting which firms, which organizations, which of these insurance companies are messing around with with uh, uh, the claims and denying claims unnecessarily and all that. How do we get that information? How do we make that part of our toolkit uh, as consumers?
2: Well, it gets back to the issue of the system complexity, because, well, if you you want information on state-regulated plans and the number of complaints that are filed, the insurance commissioner does track that information. If you work for a large employer that's self-funded, which 50% of people do, that's a different process. If you're Medicaid-eligible, that's a different process. If you're Medicare, that's a different process. So, I mean, there's, there's no one sort of collection spot for it. You have to look at what your coverage is, who is you know insuring you? Is it a self-funded ERISA plan? Is it a state regulated plan? Is it the marketplace? And then that's where you would find more information on the complaint on, on the, the score that they might have.
0: How do you feel that the elimination of the mandate is going to affect um, other than the fact that we'll actually increase more debt on uh paid for debt with medical bills?
2: Right. It's just it it and, and you've answered the question. It's gonna create Less of an incentive for people to secure insurance. I'm healthy, so I don't need insurance. Oops, I just had a car accident and I've got you know $50,000 in medical bills. How am I going to pay for it? Might be uncompensated care that we all pay for. It also takes the healthy people out of the risk pool. So when you see a risk pool that you want to have you know, healthy and sick and a blended pool, a bigger pool is better. I mean, when we look at... at Healthcare pooling, I talk about, you know, uh, in Wisconsin, I was trying to make the point of, like, we want a great lake, not, you know, a dirty puddle in spring. I mean, it, it's, it's, it's really important that we have a lot of people in that pool. BadgerCare Plus happens to be a very large pool. And it's efficient in some ways because it has a lot of kids in it. So if you use that as a core to build from and bring other people into that, state employees, county employees, it could be a pool that really has a much better risk profile and ultimately lower some costs. People say, well, BadgerCare doesn't pay anything for the providers. But if you're able to bring in higher paying plans with lower risk and, and broaden the pool, you can increase some of the reimbursement rates. Some, and not all, but because part of the idea behind big pooling is that it gives you purchasing leverage. So you will be discounting, and you, you know, but you're getting a lot more care. That's how Medicare uh, keeps some of its costs lower.
1: Something that's always upset me is that our children's hospital in Madison was is named the American Family Insurance Company, I mean hospital. And I think my husband's from Sweden, and he always complains about socialized medicine because you wait forever. But there are no hospitals named for insurance companies there. They're named for cities and their regional centers and services are shared. And it has always seemed to me that that would be a much cheaper system if we would look into that, not having everything supported by companies.
2: Well, I mean, I think that, I mean, I I understand uh, your concern. I think that naming rights are a big deal and overplayed, and it, you know, it's, uh, American family doesn't typically get into the health insurance area. They're, They're pretty much in other things. But, you know, we had a, we had a big uh, lawsuit that was against an employee of American family that had a self-funded plan through uh, Cigna. And boy, I tell you, you, know, fighting was like, I felt like the American family effect. We were fighting three different firms. I mean, it almost put our firm out of business. We took this case all the way up to the U.S. Supreme Court. It was a little boy that had uh, a speech. Uh, he had autism, and he lost his ability to speak, and so we were trying to get... Uh, documentation from uh, the insurance plan, which was Cigna in this case, and they refused to give it to us because it was a business secret. I'm like, wait, wait a minute. How are we supposed to challenge the denial if we don't know the reason for the denial? You can't just say, oh, you know, we made the decision, and oh, by the way, it's a secret. Well, and ultimately, we had to sue them for it, and we fought and fought and fought. We finally won. Uh, it went to the Seventh Circuit, it went up to the U.S. Supreme Court. They rejected it. Went back to the trial court in front of Judge Crabb. But it, it was, you know, for a small case, for a small firm. But we, you know, again, it was that stubbornness, but we just dug in and fought it. Well, let, let me tell you another story, too, because I'm, I'm, I'm piling on a little bit. But I, I, I represented a client who was, uh, was a brittle diabetic, and she needed a pancreas transplant. And she contacted me at the last minute to Go to the hearing, which was at this big insurance company, in Northern Wisconsin, a big hill, full of granite and luster. I met the clients. We talked about the issue. Went into the this sort of almost like theater room, and there was 20 people in the theater seats. I was like, "What is this? You know, is this the Roman amphitheater? You know, my client is in there. Like, whoa, are you all here for me?" And they didn't know I was showing up, which was a bit of a surprise. So that I think evened the odds a little bit, but the the Medical director said, I understand you want a pancreas transplant, but that's, you know, I was looking on the internet, and the American Diabetes Association doesn't think that's a a good idea. And I'm like, "Uh, excuse me, but why don't you look at the University of Minnesota medical records for her specific condition, her needs, and not look at a website? If you are a medical director, look at her medical records. And he was just trying to, like, push it to the side. The vice president of the underwriting jumps in and says, well, Mr. Peterson, but we've got a provision in our policy that says we won't pay for uh, a pancreas transplant unless a kidney transplant is also indicated. And I said, her kidneys are fine, and you're, I read your policy language, which said we will pay for a pancreas slash kidney. And I said, that doesn't mean it's you know, going to be either or. I said, that's a jury question. How do you think a jury's going to respond to this? And he went, well, I don't know. Well, we got the services paid for. But this was, you know, a woman who had a brittle, was a brittle diabetic. She had passed out in front of her 13-year-old son. She was going to, you know, she needed this transplant. And they were determined not to pay for it. Well, it was, you know, I mean, the people in the, the amphitheater were, you know, spectators loaded down with their jewelry. I mean, it was, it was, it was, a, it was an awful sight. My clients started crying. Um, and I was disgusted by it, Um, but we were able to help her, and we were able to help her get the the transplant that she needed. But these are stiff odds that people face, and it's part of a culture of indifference, Uh, and it's not all insurance companies. There are some bad actors. There are some that are really bad actors, but everyone makes mistakes. But you don't know as a consumer, what are you going to do? If you're low-income, you're a health disparity, you've got a child with special health care needs, you're falling into medical debt, I mean, you're just swirling down the drain. So there's a lot that we can do to help people in those situations, give them the tools they need.
4: So how how large is your organization, and how many offices do you have? And I mean, how, how many people do you have working for you, and how many of those people are attorneys?
2: We have four attorneys on staff, uh, about... 16 people all together within ABC for Health, Health Watch Wisconsin, ABC for Rural Health, and our technology company, My Coverage Plan, Inc. Most of our work is right here down the street in the Mifflin Co-op. The technology company is upstairs, and uh, the law firm is downstairs mostly. ABC for Rural Health is up in in, uh, western Wisconsin.
0: How do you think the merger between insurance companies and pharmacies are going to affect our health care system?
2: I don't know. I mean, honestly, I don't know yet how that's going to play out. I know why they're doing it, because they're paying, you know, the the, the insurance companies are paying quite a bit for the pharmaceuticals and are looking for strategies to lower those costs. And that's one of the strategies that they've identified. Is it going to work out? Uh, I'm not sure.
5: Thank you. Um, I just got out of the American Rehabilitation Hospital, which was, I mean, it's UW, but so those two organizations have some kind of relationship. Uh, anyway, um, I have to be a devil's advocate. Of course, I'm on Medicare and have a supplement policy. I never get a bill, one, from that from my experiences. And so, for me, it's working out so well. I can't imagine people that have to pay for or co-pay for everything. Um, It would just, you know, make you a poor person (laughs) if you did. So when you ask people if they like Medicare, most of them say yes. But talking about the pool of... Um People on that insurance it 's pretty pretty bad because they 're all so old <laughs> so.
2: yeah right well, and that 's where you want to try and blend the pool between you know the healthy, the sick, the young and I mean the idea behind insurance should be that we 're able to take care of everybody um, and i 'm glad that i 'm you know I will tell you that typically the cases that I hear, so I have the the viewpoint of problems and and trouble and denials of coverage. I do like to hear situations where people are having uh, success. Um, Congratulations and keep it up.
6: (laughs) I have a question and a comment. Uh, uh, First, the question, Uh, do you think it would be possible to sponsor a statewide referendum in Wisconsin to compel the governor to accept the Medicaid money on uh, a binding referendum, I mean that, in terms of legal action, something we can do to compel uh, him to act as a governor uh, responsibly uh, and have the electorate make that decision. That's my question. Is it legal to do that uh, in this state under the Constitution or are all uh, referendums in Wisconsin advisory uh, My comment is, is that under the Canadian system of health care, they've been able to negotiate with doctors every two years in most provinces all the prices for all medical procedures in each province. The federal government subsidizes about 50% of the cost. The province kicks in the other amounts of money. Uh, Why can't that kind of a system be uh, thought of here, uh, in order to cover everyone.
2: Yeah, I think that there's a lot of people in your camp. I think that you know the, the Canadian system is kind of like Medicare. I think for the most part, people would do not want people to take Medicare away from them. I mean, most Canadians are going to say, don't take away our system. There might be some problems around the edges where you have some challenges and some weights and things like that, but politics and greed get in the way because the money is totally different. The amount of money that Canadians spend on health care compared to to what we pay is, you know, apples and oranges. And there's so much money flowing into the system, someone loses in that system. Someone loses in the system where we take, you know, we limit the profits of health care. And that's part of what, when we took the sliver of the Affordable Care Act, circling back to our original theme, that's why that's been so controversial. You know, the mandates are one thing, but it's really, it gets down to who's losing out of this, some of the insurance companies that were making a very, very profitable living, some of the brokers that were selling these policies were making a lot of money off it. And when that changed, that took away their livelihood and they weren't happy about it. So, you know, and that's where the whole fear and greed part of the equation comes in. The greed drives people to political action, and the fear is that they're taking something that that taking something from me. And it's sad. Um, The referendum, I I think the referendum is the election. I think the 2018 election should be part of a referendum on that issue, and that's part of what you all will be, at least getting people out there, registering to vote, making sure their voice is heard, whether they like it or not. Let's get as many people out there as possible.
0: Thank you very much. You've been listening to The Impact of the Affordable Care Act in Wisconsin with our guest speaker, Bobby Peterson. He's a public interest lawyer and founder of ABC for Health, an organization that connects Wisconsin families to health care. The talk took place on January 20th, 2018 at the Capitol Lakes Retirement Community in Madison and was part of the Lively Issues Luncheon, sponsored by the League of Women Voters of Dane County. To find out what else the League is up to, go to their website at lwvdanecounty.org. The views expressed here are those of the speakers and not necessarily those of the League of Women Voters of Dane County. Permission to rebroadcast this podcast is granted if credit is given to the League of Women Voters of Dane County and any editing does not alter the speaker's meaning.